You are listening to the podcast of Anthem Church in Columbia, Missouri. For more information, visit us online at anthemcolumbia.com. Good morning, Anthem. Thank you to my friend Zach here for setting up the whiteboard. Zach Fleer, man amongst boys. If you want to know more about that, uh, September 28th, he is uh, helping... uh, form up a creations call ministry. You see that on your announcements. If you want to know anything more about that, the man who just carried the board up is your point of contact. So touch base with him afterwards. This morning, we are back in the book of Genesis. So we started this spring. We took a break for the summer for the students. And so we're back in Genesis chapter 23, if you want to open your Bibles there. And as you're opening there, I want to start off with uh, a drawing exercise. So if you have your program or if you just want to do it in your head, I want you to I did this with my kids earlier this week, just as an experiment, see how it would go. <laughs> so kids, if you, have, if you like drawing and you have a pen and paper, uh, I want you to draw a tombstone from memory. <laughs> Don't Google search one. Just in your head, imagine what a tombstone, a grave marker. I had to clarify for Atticus. He's mean, you mean, Atticus is like, you mean the big rock that they put in front of Jesus' tomb? It's like, no, not just a rock, <laughs> like, like, a, like a grave marker, <laughs> a tombstone. So I want you to at least if you do it in your head. Um, There's four, and I want to give you this ahead of time. There's four important things that are on every tombstone that need to be on there. So there's four things. So in your head, if you're drawing it, see if you got the four things. Like, give you a second. If you're a kid, start drawing it. There's four things you need to include. They're important. On every tombstone, every grave marker has at least these four. There might be more. There's always room for more, depending on how much money you have and how big the rock is. But uh, there's four things that are going to be important on here. So as you guys are drawing here, let's see what I got here. Look at how thick this thing is. This is awesome. Okay, so there we go. That's kind of like a, that's old school. We'll make it three-dimensional here for you guys. You like that? <laughs> Look at that. Look at that. It's got, it's like coming at you. <laughs> this is the part of the program where you put on your 3D glasses. Like the tombstone's coming right at me. Okay, so we got our gravestone here. There's four things that are important to be on here, right? Okay, so number one, this is me. I'm dead. Your name has to be on there, right? That's important. Like, it's marking who. Like, what's on there? Name. You guys got that one, hopefully, right, guys? Name, okay. Another thing right here. Let's see. October 24, 1978. That would be, woo, yeah, look at that. <laughs> That's a fine wine there, <laughs> those 78s. That's my date of birth. That's important, right? That's got to be on there. Hopefully, everybody got that, right? And so, if I, so that's important. One, two, three. Well, I'm dead, so another date needs to go on here, right? Let's just, let's give me a nice long, let's see, what, 2078? 100 years? Died on my birthday? It's kind of sad, kind of cool. <laughs> like, you made it, and, oh, finish line. <laughs> 100 years, that'd be a good run, <laughs> right? Especially if you hit it running, you know, if you hit it with your chest, you know, that'd be a great run. So those are three things, right? Important things, your name. The date you were born, the date you died, those are important. But what's the fourth thing? Anybody know? Yeah, Jeremy's got it, right? The dash, right? The fourth thing. My kids forgot that one. There's a dash, right? So you got your name, the date you were born, the date you died, and the dash in between. We're, we're in the book of Genesis. It's a series that we've entitled Introducing God because the, the main character of the book of Genesis It's not about us, it's about God. And he's using real life, real people to show things to us about himself. He's revealing himself to us. And we've seen that he is the author of life. At the beginning of Genesis, there's nothing except God. There's nothing at all except for God. And then by his word, things come to life. 
things have birthdays. Things come to life and fruition. Things are born because God says so. And then we see that God issues a warning to Adam in a perfect world and says, everything's great. Everything is yes. Everything is yes. One no. That tree, don't touch it. Eat it. If you eat from the fruit of that tree, you will surely die. Adam and Eve go, chapter 3, to eat the apple. Eat the fruit. We don't know if it was an apple. It might have been a pomegranate. Who knows? It's a fruit that grows on a tree, a cherry. <laughs> I don't know. He eats it. So as promised, Adam and Eve now die. So because of God, things live and things die. Because he keeps his promise and said that people would die if they sinned. And now every person born since then, every person that's ever born has had a birthday and will have a day of death. Because of the way that God oriented the world. Because of our first parents, Adam and Eve. And everybody gets a dash in between. Everybody has a dash. That's where you are this morning. This is your dash. This is where you're living. And it, it seems like a small thing. Like, you know, a dash, it's actually like your, I think it's like your ring finger on a keyboard. It's just one little flick of the dash, right? Like the guy who's, who's typing this up, telling the program what to put on the gravestone, it's one flick of one ring finger. And that is your entire life. Everything you ever thought, dreamed, hoped, did, said, didn't say, is represented in the end on your grave marker by a dash. Just a flick of your ring fingers, everything that you ever did, everything you ever wanted to do, everything you fell short of is a dash. And we all have one. We all just have the one. Some people's might be longer. A hundred years is a good run. Some people's might be shorter, but it's still just the one, just the one dash, and we all get it. And the question this morning is, what are we going to do with it? So today in Genesis 23, we have, God takes a chapter of the Bible. The entire chapter is about death and burial. We're going to see that Sarah this morning dies. Abraham's wife dies. And so the reason why God wants us to focus on the end of the story is because there's work to do today. So he wants to remind us of the end so that we apply it to ourselves today, this morning. So if you found your way to Genesis 23, verse 1 in the first part of verse 2 says this. Sarah lived 127 years. She, her, her dash was longer than mine. 127 years. These were the years of the life of Sarah. And Sarah died at Kiriath Arba, that is Hebron, in the land of Canaan. That's her obituary. Her entire life edited down to two sentences. She lived this long. These were the years of her life. This is where she died. That's, that's, her, obit, that's her obit. That's the math, right? That's the math. That's the math. Here to here equals 127. That's Sarah's life. Her entire life boiled down to that. And every year of those 127 years, which is a great run, was made up of about 365 todays. She didn't live her life in the past. She didn't live her life in the future. Every day that she lived was today. Just like today is your life. You are alive right now. You are living today. You may have things in your past that are nagging you, that have made you to who you are, but you're living right now. You might have anxiety about the future. What's going to happen to me? Where am I going? All that's in the future. Jesus says, don't worry about tomorrow. It'll be there waiting for you. Don't worry. You don't need to worry about it now. It'll be there. Don't worry. It's waiting. Right now, everybody's living today. You are living today. And Sarah's life, 127 years of 365 todays. Because every day that she lived her life was today. I, uh, Hebrews 3, verses 7 and the first part of 8, I have on a slide for you guys. Look what the Bible says here about this idea of today. Hebrews 3, 
7 through 8, it says, Thus says, or sorry, the Holy Spirit says, Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. Today, if you hear his voice. Today. Not, I, I, I heard his voice 10 years ago at church camp, and I softened it then. I did the thing. I wrote the card. I put it on the cross. I burned it. We all sing a song, and that was it. Or, you know, or 20 years ago, I walked down an aisle, and I said a thing, and then the church you know, said something back, and then that's, I did that. But the Holy Spirit says, today, if you hear his voice. Don't bank on yesterday when you did it. Don't bank on yesterday I heard his voice 10 years ago, last week, and I softened my heart today. And don't make your plans in the future. Like, I'll, I'll harden my heart tomorrow. I'll, I'll soften my heart when I have kids. When I, when I finally, like, when I get married, when I settle down, I'll soften then. That's when I'll do it. No, the Holy Spirit says, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your heart. Today. So that's the whole point of focusing on death is to focus on today. To realize you're going to die someday is to direct your attention on today. Today is what's important. The certainty of death should direct the urgency of today. When we assume we have tomorrow, we make excuses for today. When you assume tomorrow, you excuse today. You say, ah, that's really hard. I don't want to have that conversation. I don't want to bring that sin up. I don't want to confess that thing. I don't want to confront that sin in them. I'll do that tomorrow. When you assume that you have tomorrow, you make excuses today. And so God wants us to, to see today by focusing on death, tomorrow is not guaranteed. All of us have one of these. And all of us are living right here. So if you know you should do it, do it now. Do it today. I want to show you a couple of verses that reinforce this fact. It's going to seem like I'm hitting a nail just over and over again. But this is important to get because you might say like, okay, Todd, by the end of this, you're like, I get it. I'm going to die. Can we move on? <laughs> but if nothing changes today, you don't get it. You can nod and get annoyed with the repetition of it. But unless something changes today, you don't yet understand. And that's why the Bible brings it up so much. So let's look at some verses. 2 Kings 20, verse 1. I have it up on the slide for you. 2 Kings 20, verses one, verse 1. Thus says the Lord, set your house in order, for you shall die. Now, this is words that Isaiah spoke to King Hezekiah. Like all of us, Hezekiah lived his life in today. And do you think Hezekiah was unaware of the fact that he was going to die someday? Like all of you, like you might not, you might push that thought aside when it comes into your head, but you know that, right? You've come to terms with the fact that this is going to be your life someday. That's going to come to an end. But like most of us, Hezekiah was just living his life doing his thing. And Hezekiah has the added benefit of he, was, he had sickness. So he like had extra reason to think that his death might be sooner rather than later. He had terminal illness. So not only is he like all of us who knows that we're going to die someday, he has a terminal illness which makes him think that day is coming sooner than later. So you tell me, why is, why is Isaiah saying your house is still out of order? If you know you're going to die, why have you not put that in order? Why have you put that off? And that's the question I would say to you. Why, why do we put that off? If we know we're going to die someday, why do we put off stuff we know we should be doing? Why do we fail to reconcile with parents and siblings that we know we should? Why do we fail to come clean on stuff? Why do we fail to confront other things? Why do we fail to finally get our priorities in order when we know this day is coming? This is not a surprise. We have a heads up. And in Hezekiah's case, he had a very specific heads up. You are terminally ill. So why is he having to have this conversation? Hezekiah, get your house in order. Don't go to the grave with things out of order. 
That's the warning. Don't allow a day to go by with things out of order because it might be the last today you get. So today, put your house in order. Live your priorities right now. If they are your priorities, live them. Don't live your priorities in the future because future you is just crushing it at life. You know that? (laughs) Future you is thinner, smarter, faster, making more money, better parent, better husband, better wife. Future you is killing it at life. Current you kind of... Kind of a little envious of future you, if you're honest. <laughs> but also, it's like not all that motivated. <laughs> and you're just like, the, 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 the move right now is cross your fingers and hope that future you just becomes me someday. Like maybe I'll just, my, maybe it's osmosis. Maybe I'll just wish it enough and I'll just become, <laughs> my wish fulfillment will come true. That's not how life works, by the way. <laughs> you will just be 10 years older, more disappointed, and more entrenched in the bad habits you have right now. If nothing changes today, future you will not be any different than current you. It'll just be an older version of the you you don't like right now. (laughs) All the same habits you have will only be 10 years more reinforced. And you've probably gotten better at them in the meantime, better at things you wish you weren't even doing in the first place. 2 Samuel 14, 14 says it this way. We must all die. We are like water spilled on the ground, which cannot be gathered up again. We must all die. We're like water that's being spilled out. Like, your life is being poured out. Today is yours. Tomorrow it will be gone. Whatever you do with it today is what you do with it. But tomorrow there's no, go, there's no take backs. There's no respawns. Like, once it's tomorrow, today is gone. And so your life is being emptied out. But you can spill anything by accident, right? Like, you've spilled stuff by accident, but you pour things on purpose. You pour things into things because you decide, it's going out anyways, so where do I want it to go? When you pour things, you find a thing and you pour it into it. But you can spill things by accident. I have seven kids, so I know a little thing about, a little about spilling things. They say don't cry over spilled milk. It seems like that's all I do. <laughs> and like, and I, I have literally cried over <laughs> spilled milk. Like, that isn't just a joke. Like, I have actually shed real tears of <laughs> like, why? Ugh. Like, you like the milk. Why is it on the floor? I don't understand. But the worst spill of all was actually one I did. Um, because I have seven kids, uh, 10, 9, 7, 6, 3, 2, 4 months. I should probably learn their names. Um, <laughs> that's a Jim Gaffigan joke. That's not mine. <laughs> um, because I have so many kids, like, I, we buy a lot of milk. Like, I, I work half my paycheck just for milk. <laughs> So, like, once I get through, like, half the week, I'm like, okay, the milk's paid for now. This is just extra. Um, and so because we buy, like, eight gallons of milk a week, um, we have a bunch of milk. And I was carrying it downstairs to where you need two fridges because one fridge, they don't make, like, milk fridges <laughs> like, that are designated just for that. So we have two fridges. So I was carrying a bunch of milk down to the basement fridge. And as I was on the way down the carpeted stairs, the handles on the, on the, uh, the cooler that I was carrying broke. And so the milk, which is in glass bottles, fell out, and two and a half gallons of milk went cascading down our basement stairs. And, and as it was happening, it's one of those things that you're like, like you, you simultaneously can't believe it's happening, and you kind of simultaneously just resign yourself to like, well, this might well happen. <laughs> you know, you kind of just like sit there in disbelief, where you're just like, oh, no. This <laughs> is like a white waterfall <laughs> just going down the stairs. But it's like water spilled on the ground. There's no getting it back. There's no grabbing the carpet. Everybody, kids, grab the carpet and wring it out. This is your milk. <laughs> like, there's no, it's gone. It's, there's no getting it back. 
oh my word, it was the worst. <laughs> like two and a half gallons of milk. And, it, and, it, and milk doesn't smell good. You know how milk doesn't smell good when it's good? <laughs> you know how you're like, is this milk bad? You're like, well, who could tell it always smells that way? <laughs> well, I can tell you when it rots, it definitely smells different, <laughs> especially in the summer in Missouri. <laughs> And so we had this, like, we would leave that basement door closed because when you'd open it, it was just like a wafting of, like, and it got progressively worse and worse. We're trying to host Connection Group, and we're like, if you keep coming to this group, like, it's, you guys are faithful because <laughs> this is endurance to endure the smell of this. Oh, but our life is like that. It's like water spilled on the ground. Try, if you spill water on the ground, try and get it back. It's gone. It, just count it as a loss. It's gone. Our lives are like that. They are being poured out. Now, will it be spilled by accident? You can spend today by accident. You can frit it away on whatever it is, and tomorrow it'll be gone. It's going to be poured out or spent one way or the other. But will it be poured into something intentional? Are you doing what you want with your life today? Because if not, tomorrow you won't be able to re-pour it. It's gone. It's in the ground. It's evaporating. It's milk in the carpet. Count that stuff as a loss. So today is the point. Pour on purpose. If you have a purpose, do it now. Tell your life where to be poured out. Pour it into Jesus. Pour it today. And don't just assume it's going to happen. It's not. You spill by accident. Pour on purpose. Hebrews 9.27. I'll hit this nail one last time just so that you know you don't leave today wondering, what was the point of today? Well, I think he wants me to know I'm going to die someday. Hebrews 9.27. It is appointed for man to die once. And after that comes judgment. Every person gets just the one dash. Doesn't matter how tall, successful, rich, or what color your skin is. We all get just the one life, just the one dash. Some people's are longer than others. The distance between these two dates, the math might be different. In fact, it'll largely be different for a lot of people, and some of those factors may come into play there, but it's just the one dash. doesn't matter. Nobody gets two. It's just the one, just this one. That is your entire life. Someday it will be on a stone sitting somewhere. What will this have been spent on? What will it have been poured into? What do you want it to have been poured out for. If you want it to have been poured out there, if you look into the future and you see this date and you want to look back on something, start doing it today. It's not going to just happen, and you might not have tomorrow to do it. We're all born with this date on our calendar. I work in an office, so I get meetings, you know, like mandatory, you know, uh, attendance is mandatory ones, and you get the CC ones. You're like, stop CCing me on so it has nothing to do with me, you know? If you work in an office, don't worry. If you, you, know, you know what I'm talking about. If you don't work in an office, someday that'll be you dealing with other people's emails. But this is one of those mandatory appointments. Attendance required. Everybody's born with one of those on there. And the question on that date, the agenda's already been set for you. What did you do with your dash? What did you do with your dash? That will be the question. That will be the topic du jour at that date. And it is scheduled for you. So we must face the fact of death. But facing the fact doesn't mean that we don't have to feel the fact of it, right? I'm not advocating that. We're Christians, so we should just come to terms with the way that God set up the world and just soldier on. Death is still a, a tragic fact. It's true, but it is tragic. And we'll see that. Look at the second part of verse 2 with Abraham. Sarah has died. And look, it says, Abraham went in to mourn for Sarah and to weep for her. Abraham knew that Sarah was going to die someday. When he got married, he said, till death do us part. It's part of the marriage vow. Death is built into it. It's you and me, baby, until one of us dies or Jesus comes back. So he wasn't unaware that this day was going to happen. But when it happens, it's still very sad. Nobody should, no Christian should be like, well, Jesus, it's, death is, 
resurrect in victory. There's no reason. Don't cry at death. It's all, all celebration. Let's just have a party when our friends die. We should be happy for them if they were Christians, but we should feel the weight of death. And it's okay to be sad. In fact, it's weird if you're not. If you love people, it's sad when they die. And there are two types of tears at every funeral. There's tears of gratitude and tears of regret. There are people at every funeral who are saying, thank God for that person. They were so special to me. I'm going to miss them. They were so important to me. I'm so sad they're not here anymore. I loved them. Thank you, God, for them. Thank you. And there'll be tears of loss of like, man, I'm going to miss that guy. Man, I'm going to miss that girl. I'm going to miss them. And there are tears of regret. All the things that you wish you would have said. All the things you wish they would have said. There's tears of brokenness that now has no chance to be reconciled. There's those types of tears. Every funeral is full of tears of those varieties. Gratitude and regret. The most important day of every relationship is not the first day. It's the last day. We put tons of emphasis on the first day, right? We're in a young next-generation church, so it's all baby showers and weddings. There's not a lot of funerals. Lots of baby showers and weddings, which are awesome. And you realize how much time and energy gets put into some of these things? Like, especially with Pinterest and stuff now, like the pressure to have an awesome baby shower or a gender reveal or, or like, like, it's like the, the ante is so high to like have a rock star wedding. And, and you look at Pinterest and it's like, well, anybody can do it. Why does your wedding suck, you know? Like you feel all this pressure. Like it's just like the, the ante is very high to have this awesome thing. And we put, there's magazines. Look at all the magazines devoted to bridal stuff. And like, and the whole industry, and look at all the money that goes into a wedding day, which is awesome. I love it. Keep doing it. I love weddings. They're so much fun. I love taking my kids to weddings and like inviting them into the joy of watching people commit their lives to each other in front of God and their friends and family. And it's awesome. But like, think about the amount of money that goes into like her wearing white and like the guy brushes his teeth for once and like, (laughs) and like all the groomsmen show up and pretend like they wear suits sometimes. And like, it's just, it's so much fun. So much money goes into that first day because we want it to be awesome. And we get the pictures and the, the drone, you know, coverage of the, you know, like every, it's like epic and we get it edited down and like it's got a slow-mo, like, no, I do. It's just like, it's so cool. But the, most, the measure of that marriage is not that day. The, mar- the, the measure of that marriage is the last day. How are you guys doing the last day of that marriage? That's the measure of marriage. It's not, it's the measure of a, of a child is not the first day is not like how fancy the crib was. The measure of that success is not that. It's the last day. It's like, where were you two at when one of you passed away? Like, how had you led them? How did they look to you? Did you repent as a dad and say, hey, we both need Jesus. That's why I'm trying to urge you towards him because daddy, daddy's a sinner too. Like, what's the state of your relationship on the last day? We put so much focus on the first day and rightfully so. The beginnings of things are awesome, but Ecclesiastes says the end of a thing is better than the beginning. The end of the thing is what is the measure of the thing. The end of the life and looking back this way is the measure of that life. Not if you got off to a great start. Plenty of people get off to get a great jump out of the gate and then blow it. It's how you ended. It's how you finished. Did you hit the finish line with your chest? Did those relationships end well? Because at that funeral, there will be tears. And will people be grateful for you and all that you did? the way that you demonstrated Christ-likeness in your repentance, in your humility, in your confidence in Christ alone. What about those relationships? Are there people right now that you know if they were to pass away, you would have regret at their funeral? There's things that you wish you would have said to them. Today is the day to say those things to them. 
If you assume you have tomorrow, you will make excuses for today. If there are things that you want said about you at your funeral, are you doing those things now? Don't just, I, I hope someday people say nice things about me at a funeral. Are you doing things that would warrant nice things being said about you? Are there people who you worry that if they died right now, you would have a hard time being happy and grateful for them in your life? Well, then today is the day to act and reach out to them. If you want something to change, you're going to have to reach out and do something to change it because it all comes back to today. Now, let's look at the rest of the chapter. That's the chapter focuses on Sarah's dead, and now Abraham's going to work on burying her because his wife has passed away. So verses 3 through 9, we've got some reading to do. Abraham rose up from before his dead and said to the Hittites, I'm a sojourner and a foreigner among you. Give me property among you for a burying place that I may bury my dead out of my sight. The Hittites answered Abraham, Hear us, my lord. You are a prince of God among us. Bury your dead in the choicest of tombs. None of us will withhold from you his tomb to hinder you from burying your dead. Abraham rose and bowed to the Hittites, the people of the land, and he said to them, If you are willing that I should bury my dead out of my sight, hear me and treat for me Ephron, the son of Zohar, that he may give me the cave at Malkpah, which he owns. It is at the end of his field. For the full price, let him give it to me in your presence as property for a burying place. This is an interesting question. Where do you want to be buried? So we talked about the fact you're going to die someday. Hopefully you got that. If you didn't, I don't know. I'm sorry. I tried my best. <laughs> where do you want to be buried, though? That's a weird question, right? Because you're like, I don't even really think about dying that much. But where would you want to be buried? I was born and raised in Northwest Iowa, Sioux Center, 23 years of my life. That's where I grew up. I'm Dutch. That's, you know, we had tulip festivals, and that, those are my people. I still think of myself as Dutch. I still think of myself as from Northwest Iowa. That's where my relatives are buried. That's where my dad will probably be buried when he dies. That would make sense, right? Like, people tend to, like, get buried, like, to things like that. That would make sense. But then I moved to Ames and uh, lived there for 12 years. I became a Christian in Ames, met my wife in Ames, got married in Ames, had my first three children in Ames. So, like, Ames is, like, has a lot of importance to me. A lot of life things have happened there. But then we moved to Cedar Falls to plant a church. We lived in Cedar Falls and planted a church there and had our fourth and fifth kids, trying to do the math, <laughs> fourth and fifth kids there. And then, uh, then we moved again to move here to plant a church, and now we live here. So, I mean, that has it going for it. It's convenient. I mean, if you're going to bury me, I'm already here. <laughs> um, and I had my sixth and seventh kids here in Columbia. So I asked Paige this one day. I was like, so Paige, like, if I died, where would you bury me? Because, I mean, it's a real question. I don't know. I haven't expressed to her where I want to be buried. And she said, I don't know. I'll already be dead. <laughs> she's like, you're going to have to ask somebody else to figure that out for you. Paige has been asking from the beginning of our marriage. And she's legitimately asked me, like, would you pray that I die before you? She's like, I don't want to live without you. She's like, can you die? And I'm like, I don't, I feel conflicted about that. How do I as a husband be like, God, please kill my wife before me? <laughs> like, I don't, but I was like, I also want to honor my wife. And I totally understand the sentiment behind it. But that's a weird thing to pray. It's like, I don't know if I'm on board with that. Like, maybe we could die together. <laughs> like, hopefully, like, like that, you know, walk in her home scenario. <laughs> you know, that like quiet and in your sleep holding hands. <laughs> I don't know. But you're going to die someday. Where are you going to be buried? And so like, this is the importance of, of this section here, because Abraham wants to bury his wife, Sarah, here. Typically, it would have been just like most of us. You go back home. Like, where is your family buried? You kind of tend to be buried around people who are family. They're from Ur. God called them out of Ur to the promised land. So he's living, you see, as a sojourner. He's just wandering around. He doesn't own land here. He's just Airbnb and everywhere he goes. He doesn't actually own anything. And so he's like, well, typically, they would have just gone back to Ur and buried her there, because that makes the most sense. But Abraham said, no, God called us here. 
And even though I don't own land yet here, God said, this is our land. And the reason we're here is because of God. So it's important to Abraham to find a way to bury his wife here. But to do that, he has to purchase land. And so you'll see language of give and have. But like at no point, and you'll see as the text goes on, is anybody actually talking about this land is being given away for free? It's just kind of the bartering system. If you've ever been to like Turkey or a Central Asia country, like the Grand Bazaar, like it's all bartering system. Like it takes like three hours and there's like seven cups of tea involved. And before anything actually gets purchased, <laughs> it's just a long process. And so that's what's happening here. Nobody's at any point is actually thinking that anybody's going to just give this to Abraham. So how does Ephron respond? Abraham called out his shots. He said, this is the land I want. Verses 10 and 11. Now Ephron was sitting among the Hittites, and Ephron the Hittite answered Abraham in the hearing of the Hittites of all who went in the city of the gate. So they're at the place of doing business. No, my Lord, hear me. I give you the field, and I give you the cave that's in it. In the sight of the sons of my people, I give it to you. Bury your dead. At this point, Ephron seems like a pretty good dude, right? Abraham has this dead wife. He wants to bury her. He wants to bury her in that cave. And Ephron's like, sure, you can have it. But did you notice what Ephron did? <laughs> what did Abraham want? He wanted the cave. What did Ephron do? He's like, oh, sure, you can have the cave and the field, too. I mean, like, so he's just like, he's not throwing in the field. He's upping the price. It's like, if you want that cave, you've got to buy the whole field. You can't have just the cave. You've got to buy the whole thing. And so it seems like he's a good guy, but he's actually taking advantage of people. You ever meet people who, like, take advantage of people during hard times? This guy's sad. He just lost his wife. He's trying to process it. He wants the closure. And somebody's like, I see an opportunity for money here. I see an opportunity to take advantage of hurting people. That's what Ephron's doing. He's up in the end. He's saying, you want that cave? That's important to you? How about you buy the whole field? Abraham doesn't need a field. He needs a cave. He's not looking to buy land just to own land. He's looking for a cave to bury his wife. And so Ephron seems like he's a good guy here. It seems like he's uh, doing uh, the right thing by offering to him, but he ups the ante here. So how does Abraham respond to this? 12 through 15, Abraham bowed down before the people of the land, said to Ephron, in the hearing of all the people, but if, you'll, if you will hear me, I give the price for the field, accept it from me that I may bury my dead there. Ephron answered, Abraham, my Lord, listen to me. A piece of land worth, what, 400 shekels of silver? What's that between friends? What's that between you and me? Go bury your dead. So again, you see here, he's naming his price. He's like, can I have that bicycle? Yeah, sure. What's a bike of $500 between friends? He just told him how much he wants the land. That's how much he's willing to do for it. Now, just to give you some context, I'm not going to spend a lot of time here, but 400 shekels is crazy expensive. It's bonkers expensive for this land. A thousand years later from this incident, David will buy a threshing floor in order to sacrifice to the Lord. He will buy the land, the building, the oxen that come with it for 50 shekels. And that's a 1,000 years later with inflation. <laughs> so do the reverse math on that, you like actuarial people, and figure out how much this guy's charging for a, you basically oh, a, a bunch of land with a cave in it. <laughs> He's like, how much do you want for that hole in the rock? He's like, like the moon apparently is what he wants for it, 400 shekels. So he just ups the ante, crazy amount. And Abraham's response is, I want to pay full price for this. Like, nobody's going to say that they did me favors. I'm going to honor my wife, and I'll show you by paying full price. I don't want anybody saying that they helped me honor my wife. Just like you don't want to let somebody at work give you money to help buy your wife flowers. Like, no, I'm paying for those flowers. It's important to me that I pay for them. It's important to me that I pay for our date night. It's important to me that I pay for it because I want to honor her that way. And so he wants to pay for it. So verses 16 through 20, Abraham listened to Ephron and Abraham 
weighed out for Ephron the silver. So he weighed it. I don't know how long it takes to weigh out 400 shekels, but it, whatever it is, it's 400. Uh, so it's got to be heavy. It's precious metal. And Abraham weighed it out for him that he had named in the hearing of the Hittites 400 shekels according to the weights current among the merchants. So the field of Ephron and Melchpelah, which was the east of Mamre, the field with the cave that was in it, and all the trees that were in the land throughout its whole area was made over to Abraham as to possession in the presence of the Hittites. They signed the deed over. He owns all the land now, the trees, everything on it. Um, before all who went in the city gate. After this, Abraham buried his wife Sarah in the cave of the field at Melchpelah, east of Mamre, that is Hebron, in the land of Canaan. The field and the cave that it is in it were made over to Abraham as property for a burying place by the Hittites. So that seems like a lot of verses just to try and bury somebody, right? <laughs> like, like most of this chapter is him trying to bury his wife. Like that's honestly, like if you're looking at Genesis 23, if you were studying it ahead of time, I know, Mike, you did. You're just like, I wonder what Todd's going to say because this is basically like a guy trying to buy a grave marker <laughs> and a plot of land to bury his wife. Why all this fuss about a body, right? I mean, like, it's just her body. Sarah's, what made Sarah, Sarah is not even in the body anymore. She's with the Lord or in Abraham's bosom or wherever she is. She's floating around somewhere playing a harp. So what, what's, all this, what's all this fuss about her body, right? That would be the modern response to this. This seems like a lot of effort just to put a, a thing in the ground somewhere. But something has happened to the way that we think about bodies. God likes bodies. He likes them so much that everybody has one. We all get them. He likes them. And so when we look at a body and say, well, that's not Sarah, it's like, well, in some part, that's true. Like, some part of her is not there. And that's the weird part of death where it separates the soul and the body. That's an unnatural thing that has happened as a result of sin. And so it is weird, but the body is not not Sarah. Like, what you do with a body is in keeping with what you thought of her as a person. You're not just free to do whatever. Have you had this thought of, like, people are like, well, where do you want to be buried? You might have even said, well, what do I care? I'll be dead. You might have had that thought. That might have been your response. I don't care. Just burn me and put my ashes in the soldier field or Wrigley field or whatever the thing is you care about. I don't know. Like, that may be your response. Put me in the river because then it'll carry me along and it's like a Viking or something. I don't know. Like, you might have had, like, some thought like that. But what happens to your body is not a matter of indifference. And what you do to your loved one's bodies when they are dead is not a matter of indifference because God likes bodies. Your body is not just like the wrapping paper to get to the candy. Like, well, the good part's the candy. Who cares what happens to the wrapper? No, your body matters. Like, a lot of us, like, we've gotten into this weird thing of, like, thinking about our bodies are just, like, the Ubers that carry our brain around. <laughs> like, who cares about the Uber once you've gotten to the spot you've gotten to? <laughs> Do you ever follow up on the Uber driver? I hope you got home okay. <laughs> like, once you've used the Uber to get where you need to go, you don't really think much about the Uber anymore because its sole purpose is to get you from one place to the other. That's what a lot of you think of your bodies. It just gets me from where I want to go. It just hauls my brain around. It gets me to, it hauls my brain to class. It hauls my brain to church or, or hauls my heart around. Like it's just like an Uber for my important parts. It's not unimportant. Everybody has a body and God likes them. So much so that his son became one. Jesus became a body. He didn't just float around with a booming voice and say like, you're doing it wrong. <laughs> Like, he became a person with an actual body that would bleed if you cut it and sweat if it worked hard and got tired at the end of the day, especially if he's on a rocking boat. Like, he had a body just like us, and God likes bodies. 2 Corinthians 5, 2 through 5 kind of solidifies this point, and then we'll start landing the plane for you. 2 Corinthians 5, verses 2 through 5. In this tent, we groan. In this body, we groan. Has anybody not felt the weight of having a body? Bodies are great, but they, have, they come with their problems, right? <laughs> you try and get up on a cold morning. 
you realize that you're getting older and you can't bounce back with playing football with kids anymore. Maybe this has only happened to me. <laughs> We're at a next-generation church, so I'm one of the few people who knows what it's like to feel old. But I'm only 40, so I don't feel that old. I can still do some stuff. But, like, in this tent, we groan. Like, we feel the weight. We get sick. We get headaches. We have pain. It hurts sometimes to have a body. In this tent, we groan, longing to put on our heavenly dwelling. So in this body, we want a better body. Like, and look at what he says here. Like, if indeed by putting it on, we may not be found naked. Nobody is in your body right now thinking, I just wish I didn't have a body. I wish I just floated around like a ghost. That would be awesome. No, what you want is a body that doesn't get sore. What you want is a head that doesn't ache. What you want are eyes that can see just fine without glasses. That's what you want. You don't want to be naked. You don't want to be unclothed of a body. You don't want it to be just a spirit floating around. You want a better body. For while we are still in this tent, we groan, being burdened, not that we would be unclothed, but that we would be further clothed. We want better clothes than the body we have, not no clothes, so that what is mortal may be swallowed up by life. We want this mortal body that gets sick and wears down and gets calluses and scars to be fresh, to do what we want it to do, to not feel pain, to not hurt. And listen to this promise at the end. He who has prepared us for this very thing is God. When you want that, you are wanting something that God has promised will happen, who has given us the spirit as a guarantee. You know what the proof that you will have a better body is someday? Christian, the hope of that is, is what you've seen happen on the inside is going to happen on the outside someday. That old inside that was gross and sinned and didn't want anything to do with God, that God has reborn made new, that's going to happen to the outside of you. The very proof that that is going to happen someday is to look inside at what God is doing inside you through his spirit. He is renewing you every day on the inside. May that be your everlasting hope that he is going to do that on the outside someday. You will have a body someday. When you die, you will be departed from your body and be with Jesus. When he returns, back in a body again. You will have a body. You will live forever in a body because bodies are awesome. And they will be great. And the new bodies will be ones that don't groan or ache anymore. No sick, no death, no dying. Just everlasting life in a body. And that is the singular hope of Christianity is resurrection. The hope that we will live in our bodies forever is the hope of Christianity. And that is why we bury our loved ones. It's why we bury them. We bury them because it's like a symbol of the resurrection. It's like a gardener who takes a seed. And he goes and he plants it. He prepares the soil he plants the seed, covers it over, he puts a marker on it. It says green beans. <laughs> I don't know if anybody here has named green beans, but this, uh, this illustration is very particular to you. <laughs> he labels it green beans, and then he waits, and the water and the sun does its business, and he pulls weeds, and he attends after it very carefully, and he waits with hope that something will spring up. The gardener plants, marks it, and then waits with hope and patience. And that is what we do with resurrection. When we take our loved ones, we say, I believe in the resurrection. I'm going to bury them in the ground. I'm going to mark the spot where they are. And I'm going to wait with patient hope and faith that God's going to do exactly what he said he's going to do. And that Jesus will come back and all the dead will be raised with him. Those who have had faith in him to everlasting life. Those who spent their dash on worshiping Jesus will be with Jesus forever. Because what they did with this is what they will do forever. If you spend this dash worshiping Jesus, guess what you do forever? Worshiping Jesus. If you waste this on yourself, you will spend forever with yourself. And if you ever spend enough time with yourself, hopefully that's not great news for you. Some of you spend enough time alone with yourself that you're like, I don't like me all that much. I thought I did, and then I spent a long time by myself, and I don't like me as much as I thought. 
spend your life on Jesus and you will spend eternity with Jesus. What you do with this life will expand into eternity. Last couple of verses, John 5, 28 through 29. I want you to see Jesus say it directly. This is Jesus talking. He says, The Father has given the Son of God authority to execute judgment because he is the Son of Man. Do not marvel at this, for an hour is coming when all who are in the tombs will hear his voice and come out. Those who have done good to the resurrection of life and those who have done evil to the resurrection of judgment. Everyone will live forever somewhere. You will die and then you will be raised to life in a body and you will live forever somewhere. And the difference will be solely Jesus. What you did with your dash, what you did. Did you spend it on faith in Jesus? If you spend it on him, then you will spend forever with him. If you spilled it, poured it out into things that were not him, you will spend forever separated from him, being judged by him, the one who lived in a body so that you could live forever with God. The one who died in a body, who took sins on his body, who was beaten in his body for all the stuff you do with your body that you shouldn't be doing. For all the stuff you do with your body, that all the stuff you fail to do that you're supposed to do in your body. Jesus did all the stuff you're supposed to do without exception. And then he took on all the stuff you weren't supposed to do in his body on a tree on a particular day. He was killed and he died and he rose back to life. And everybody who has faith in him will do exactly the same thing. They will rise again to life in him. So today, we're going to receive response in baptism, and we as a group are going to respond in communion. Baptism and communion are symbols of resurrection. You'll see Josh sit here in front of everybody, just like Jesus, publicly, he was killed. And then they put Jesus in a tomb for three days. We're not going to hold Josh under that long. <laughs> that would require a resurrection. <laughs> and then he will come out of the tomb, just like resurrection hope. We go to the communion tables we will break off a piece of bread that represents Jesus' body that was nailed to a tree, and we will dip it in a cup that represents his blood that was poured out for you. But the reason we worship him is because Jesus is not dead. The reason we take communion is because Jesus is not stuck on a table somewhere. He's in heaven. He's alive. This is representative of what our hope is in. So if you have not yet been baptized by faith in Jesus, there's always water here, and we can always get more. It's not exactly free, but it's cheap enough. <laughs> we can get it. If you have not responded this way, that is your first step. If you have done that, if you are a professing believer in Christ and you have been baptized in faith in him, then come and join us in communion and partake like, with Jesus' body and blood and resurrection and say that this is my hope, is that this life and this dash is going to be spent on worshiping him so that when I am rose from the dead, I will look in the face of the one I've always worshipped and I'll do it better then in a better body and it'll be forever and ever. One last verse that calls you to response. John eleven twenty five through 26. As the band makes their way up, and uh, I'm not sure. Well, yeah, Chris will come up here and walk through the baptism. John 11, 25 through 26. Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. Everyone who dies will come back to life, and everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? That is the question. Do you believe this? You, personally, today, do you believe this? That's the topic du jour. The question someday will be, what did you do with your dash? The question today is, do you believe what Jesus says? That he is the resurrection, and outside of him there is no life. But in him there is everlasting life. And though you die, you will be raised from the dead. And once you're raised from the dead, there's no more dying after that. Nothing can touch you, because you're with Jesus, and he lives forever. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word and the clarity it provides. Thank you for zeroing in on an uncomfortable topic to show us that even death, our last enemy, cannot stand 
against you. The last enemy to be defeated will be death. There is coming a day where we will see no more death. We will not cry tears at funerals because there will be no more funerals. Help us today to respond to your word. Help us not to excuse today by assuming tomorrow. Help us not leave our houses out of order, knowing exactly what we should be doing, reconciling with our wife, with our kids, with our parents, with our brothers, sisters, coworkers, neighbors, roommates. We know, God, help us not to just put that off. Help us not to leave that out of order. Knowing what we know, help us to act in accordance through faith. And may you bless that with fruit right now in our lives. And may we, just like you promised, Lord, see outward change someday, just like we see it inward. Please, this morning, Holy Spirit, renew hearts on the inside every day. Renew the hearts of those who worship you. Bring more, add more to our numbers. Increase the depth of those who already worship you. And may we someday rise again with you, see you face to face, the one who conquered sin, Satan, and death. And help us to put our faith in you now so that tomorrow and forever uh, we may worship together with you. And it's in your name, Jesus, that we pray. Amen.